Good morning, Prairie College. I'm very excited about the accelerated joint degree program between Prairie and Cary Theological College. This last year, we were able to make improvements which have further reduced the overlap between our two programs and which will help you to complete your Prairie BA and Cary MDiv sooner. If you register for the program before the end of your third year at Prairie, you can complete both degrees in between five or six years of full-time study. This accelerated program means that you can start serving in a church or on the mission field sooner. If you'd like to explore this joint program, please contact Kelly Steffen or his colleagues at your registrar's office. And before I begin my talk today, I'd like to share a special word of thanks to Mark Maxwell and his team. Not only have we shared a common desire to put God's kingdom first and to educate uh, Christian workers in Canada and across the world, but we have been blessed by common convictions that we share. Perry has four theological values, which have found resonance with Prairie. We are devoted to the Bible as God's holy word. We seek to follow the risen Christ as Lord. We believe in the church and we are committed to the priority of mission to the ends of the earth. Today, as part of your series on things we can learn from historic figures, I'm gonna share some four devotional thoughts from four Anabaptists who lived and died in the early years of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. They were contemporaries of Luther and Calvin, but are not well known because they experienced persecution when they chose to reject mandatory membership in the state churches, Catholic, Lutheran, or Reformed, depending on where they lived. Instead, their reading of the New Testament led them to reject infant baptism and promote the baptism of adults as not only a personal faith decision, but also as a point of entry into the local church. While this may not sound like a big deal today, their missionary efforts and steadfast refusal to change their beliefs meant that they were harassed, jailed, and tortured by the authorities. This mission was carried out not only under state-sponsored persecution, but also against the backdrop of wars, peasant uprisings, and severe economic disparity between rich and poor. Despite these obstacles, the early years of Anabaptist missionary efforts sparked one of the greatest church growth movements of the period. They strongly believed that Europeans still needed to be evangelized, as dictated in the closing chapters of the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. The common feature uniting the diverse Anabaptist groups was the practice of adult baptism, or more correctly, believer's baptism based on a public and personal confession of faith. Of the Anabaptist groupings at the time, two of them have survived to the present and are quite well known in Canada. It would be the Mennonites and the Hutterites. I've always had an interest in Christians who risk all for their faith, pioneer missionaries, evangelists, leaders, and martyrs. Today, I'm gonna to share four uh, meditations from Anabaptists of the period on topics that they care deeply about. After each devotional thought, I'm gonna share a series of questions with you for reflection, followed by a prayer. My hope is that as we reflect briefly on the lives and convictions of these four Anabaptists, we can be challenged to walk more closely in the footsteps of Christ. Balthazar Hookmeyer on religious freedom. In John 10.10, 10, we read, 
The thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 16th century Anabaptists developed their convictions and their missionary zeal in an era of state-sponsored violence against minorities, as I've said. Across Europe, they were persecuted by all types of nominally Christian governments. One of the most perplexing ethical dilemmas that they faced was the reality that Christians in positions of power could torture and kill other Christians that they disagreed with. Swiss Anabaptist Balthazar Hubmeier published an important defense of religious freedom, arguing that Christians who used violence to make converts were disobeying the teachings of Christ. Before becoming an Anabaptist, he was a teacher, priest, and university vice rector. His life motto was, truth is immortal. In Hubmeier's On Heretics and Those Who Burn Them, published in 1524, he explains this commitment to toleration in matters of faith, and you have the text on your screen. For Christ did not come to slaughter, kill, burn, but so those who live should yet live more abundantly. Yea, we should pray and hope for repentance as long as person as person lives in this misery. But a Turk or a heretic cannot be overcome by our doing, neither by sword nor by fire, but alone with patience and supplication, whereby we wait patiently, we await patiently divine judgment. Hubmeyer's renunciation of forced religiosity was revolutionary at the time. It was rooted in a very Anabaptist concern, that is, that no religious commitment, if it was to be genuine and honoring to God, could be coerced. And that the proper tool for bringing people to faith was not torture or imprisonment, but human patience and prayers. For Hubmeyer, the final fate of every man and woman should be left in God's hands. Our first reflection then is about religious freedom. When any minority group is undergoing persecution, it is common to have an appeal for toleration. Unfortunately, it's equally common for the same minority group to be intolerant of others, either within its own ranks or towards others. Anabaptists have argued for the freedom to believe. And I wanna give you a few questions to consider today. Is it possible to advocate for our own religious freedom but refuse the same freedom to others? Hubmeyer believed that religious freedom should be extended to people who are like us and also to people who are different than us. So take a moment to think of a group of people that you strongly disagree with. How far would you go to defend the religious freedoms of those whose, whose views you oppose? Think about that for a minute. Lord, you came to give us abundant life. You call us to live in freedom and to proclaim that freedom to others. You are a missionary God who is already active in the lives of those around us. We are your servants in your mission to the world. Give us the strength to boldly share our faith with others and to show patience and love to those who disagree with us. Our next Anabaptist martyr is... Christina Haring. And for that, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 24. You see the verse on your screen. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. 
At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go, grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. In the 16th century, receiving believers' baptism indicated a break with both religious and state authorities. When Anabaptists were captured, a quick release was often obtained by renouncing that baptism and making vows of loyalty to the state and the established church. In some instances, however, some Anabaptists chose to suffer and die for the new faith, even when they had the opportunity to flee. In 1533, Christina Haring was captured and chained in Kitzbühel, Austria, but since she was pregnant and the birth was imminent, the authorities agreed to release her until the child was born. You have the quote from the martyr's mirror in front of you. I find this an extraordinary story. Here is a woman who has just given birth. She could have renounced her faith and gone to be with her family. And the text says that she could have easily escaped. Instead, she went willingly to her execution. Let me give you a few things to think about. First of all, what would you have done? When Christians face persecutions or trials, isn't it normal to seek early release? And in your own life, what does it mean to do what is right, even if you face dire consequences? What does it mean to stand firm until the end? And perhaps even today, you have a choice to make that could have negative consequences for you. That would be the right thing to do, even if, and even if it would react positively on you. How can you stand firm to the end? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's sometimes difficult for me to accept the consequences, even for my own poor behavior. It's more difficult to be punished for doing what is right. But I understand that it is in those moments that my faith in you is at stake. Help me to remain faithful. Our third reflection today is uh, from Michael Sattler on violence. From Matthew chapter 5, I have the text in front of you, but I'm going to read it. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you in the right, on the right cheek, turn to them also, the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Early Anabaptists quickly developed, developed a consensus that Christians were to avoid violence at all costs. This was expressed in a confession of faith at Schleitheim in Switzerland. And this is attributed to Michael Sattler, who was formerly a Benedictine friar. Anabaptists, as I've said, experienced state-sponsored persecution firsthand and understood how Christians in government could be corrupted by power and compelled to use state resources to act in ways that would displease Christ. 
while Anabaptists believed that governments could and should punish the wicked and protect the righteous, they argued that the, view, the use of violence by Christians in any form was outside the perfection of Christ. This meant that Christians could not serve in the military or even hold public office. Instead, drawing heavily from the Sermon on the Mount, Schleitheim Confession urged believers to confront the evil of this world with spiritual weapons. And you have a quote on the screen. Thereby shall also fall away from us the diabolical weapons of violence, such as sword, armor, and the like, and all of their use to protect friends or against enemies, by virtue of the word of Christ. You shall not resist evil. What could this mean for us? Like the early Anabaptists, we live in a violent world, encompassing many kinds of violence, domestic, religious, racial, ethnic, national, international, to name but a few. In each violent incident, there are perpetrators and victims. Cycles of violence, sometimes instigated by governments, can drag families, communities, and countries into a devil's playground of hatred, pain, and oppression. The answer in 1527 is the same as it is now. The word of Christ can bring wholeness, repentance, reconciliation. Well, let me ask you a few questions about violence and peace. First, it is easy to call attention to the violence of others and ignore the violence in our own hearts. Is there a relationship where you have been angry or aggressive where you need to seek the peace of Christ? Separate yourself from evil. And finally, what is the impact of Christian peacemaking on the reputation and witness of Christians in the world? Let's pray together. Lord, it's hard for me to turn the other cheek when I've been wronged. It's easy for me to turn a blind eye to the violence around me. Give me the spiritual strength to use your weapons to share the peace of Christ around me. Our last portrait morning is from Mano Simons. Anabaptists had a Christocentric way of understanding the Bible. They paid closer attention to the historical Jesus and argued that the mainline reformers reduced Christian teaching to a series of ideas about Christ-saving work. In contrast, Anabaptists accepted the commands of Jesus at face value and sought to apply them in their own lives. They practiced what has been called a hermeneutic of obedience, whereby a prerequisite to understanding a biblical text was a willingness to obey it. Interminable discussions about the meaning of a text were irrelevant to them if the believer was not willing, at the end of the discussion, to put the Bible verse into practice. While they were often charged with legalism, sometimes rightly, their approach to scripture produced an innovative understanding of Christian discipleship and a new kind of church. No church tradition or social imperative could be considered to a clear order from the master. 
the word of Christ himself was superior to the words of every other. Mendel Simons was the founder of the Dutch Anabaptists, as I said earlier, called Mennonites. In his foundation of Christian doctrine, Mendel cites Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, and you have the words on the screen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than that, other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. He continues. Menno continues with the challenge for his disciples to trust in scripture above any teacher and to dis discover God's word for themselves. He writes, for the experts, ancient as well as modern, are opposed to each other. Put your trust in Christ alone and in his word and in the sure instruction and practice of his holy apostles. And by the grace of God, you will be safe from all false doctrine and the power of the devil and will walk with a free and pious mind for God. Prairie College, throughout its history, has always sought to put scripture first. You are known for that. To all of you at Prairie, to faculty, students, administrators, and staff, I want to encourage you to continue putting your best efforts, using all the tools available, both, both ancient and modern, to know and to understand God's word. And then I want to leave you with Menno's challenge. Do you practice a hermeneutic of obedience? Once you understand what God is saying through his word, are you willing to obey? I'll, now I will pray my final prayer. Father, we confess that we too, like the Galatians, sometimes struggle to understand your word. We want to live in the grace of Christ. We want to bear fruit. Today, Lord Jesus, we renew our commitment to you and to your word, not only to understand it, but also and especially to obey it. Thank you again for inviting me today. I wish I could be with you in the flesh. And may God bless you and keep you all as you seek to serve.